My guest this week is Philip Courtenay, the founder of Applied Emotional Finance. We chat about behavioural and emotional factors and how they affect financial advice. Welcome to episode 252 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as ever, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate it. Before we get into this week's interview with Philip, just a quick plug for my book, which is finally going to be published this autumn. Yes, it's been to the proofreader, it's been proofread, it's currently being formatted for Amazon Publishing and Kindle Publishing, and the cover is being designed by my good friend designer, Cole Gray. Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans will be the ultimate guide to putting together a simple marketing strategy. Actually, a simple marketing strategy without using the word strategy. So watch this space. More information soon on the plans I've got for launching this book in the autumn. So let's talk about behavioural and emotional finance and let's get straight into that interview with Philip right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Philip, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure, Philip. Tell me, where are we Zooming each other from today? Now, I'm in Edinburgh, Scotland, as always. We are Zooming from, I'm in uh, Tuffin Park, North London. Fantastic. Philip, today we're going to talk about what sounds like a really intriguing subject, applied emotional finance. And this is something that you've been getting into quite a lot recently. Um, But before we get into that, Philip, give the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast a little bit of background about yourself, where you come from, how your career developed, and and basically what makes Philip Courtenay tick. In terms of my my background, I have been in the financial industry for a number of years, uh, prior to that in the professional services industry as well. And I guess what, what really changed for me in terms of figuring out actually what makes me tick is when I uh, did an MBA a few years ago, finished around 2016, 17. That MBA is what led me on to what I do now, which is, as you mentioned, applying emotional finance, which I can explain more about. And as part of the, the MBA project and dissertation as I did in the, the sort of final year, the final um, piece of it, I interviewed a number of high net worth individuals and advised um, investors and understood what makes them tick and what are the, the drivers of their behavior, what um, what do they look for in a financial advisor? What do they think and feel about um, about investments? That was probably the moment that really opened my eyes up to what the finance industry is all about. That's quite a, I guess, quite a, a big statement there. But in essence, I was speaking to individuals about all of the elements that they tend not to talk about. So the people that I was interviewing were often um, sophisticated uh, professionals. They were they were smart people, they were successful in their own careers, they were often wealthy or, or very wealthy. And they were describing things to me, such as the, the guilt that they felt for using a divisor and their financial anxiety and um, how they had regrets about being burnt in financial advice before. And they, they were using very, very emotive words. Long story short, really, that project led to a, um, a research piece on the real role of a financial advisor. 
uh, within that piece, identify the, the different roles that advisors play. So I finished that, um, that project and presented it internally at work and it was very well received. And then I kind of went back to my day job and that was as most recently as head of marketing strategy for a city um, wealth management firm. Not much changed really for probably two or three more years. Life kind of carried on and um, the career developed and, and so forth. And I thought, actually, this is what really, really, to your question, makes me tick. I, I love talking about the, as you can tell already, <laughs> talking about the, the emotions, the behaviours around how people think and, and feel and act. This is something I could do full time. You know, everyone I, I spoke to in the personal finance industry uh, was interested in, in what I had to say around this, or hopefully a lot of people at least were interested in what I had to say around this, and it was making a, a real impact on on those that I spoke to. I made a decision to set up, go my own way and set up my own business, Applied Emotional Finance, and I left the company there at the end of last year, so October, November time, which in hindsight was, <laughs> wasn't something I would have necessarily planned, but has been a very, very interesting journey, and has been a huge, huge learning curve um, as well, particularly um, in, in COVID and obviously very, um, very different times for everyone. But uh, in any sense, just understanding how other advisors work, how other wealth managers work uh, and being able to, to speak to a number of other people about their roles has been a huge area of insight for me over the last six to eight months. So when you were thinking about leaving your job, had you actually teed up some clients in advance who you're going to work with on applied emotional finance um and did you i mean as, as a head of marketing strategy i was i was sort of expecting you you had a strategy for leaving and setting <laughs> up this business and and then i suspect covid possibly uh, threw a spanner in the works there but what what was your plan to transition from from corporate to um, self-employed well it's interesting really because i guess this fits in very well with with what you do about simplifying the, the sort of marketing approach mm-hmm. and and actually my, my plan wasn't really that well developed i've spent my whole um career writing you know, comprehensive marketing strategies and plans and setting budgets and all that kind of stuff and i really just said i've got a few people i know initially that are interested i need to focus full time on building this area i won't do that probably without leaving my my um quite onerous career so i'm just going to jump in and do it and, and like I, say, I had a couple of um, contact assignments set up to see me through for the first um, few months but actually things have developed pretty quickly um, and I think the, the more that you can start getting in front of people and and educating them in my case on the actual area that I work in mm. um, and and the benefits of of the focus on understanding investors and how they how they think and feel and act uh, the more those people you can speak to and obviously that leads to referrals and so forth so my in terms of a marketing strategy it was probably a case of doing everything that i wouldn't have normally done in a, in a role um, i'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing really yeah now let, let's dig a little bit deeper into this whole area now I, I think i introduced the topic by saying we were going to talk about applied emotional finance but but actually that's the name of your business the the actual discipline we want to talk about is actual behavioural and emotional finance. So there is obviously a, a difference between the two, and I hadn't quite got that at the start. So we'll put that right as we go forward. But it, it just reminded me that we've there are quite a few people that I've spoken to on the Marketing and Finance podcast who are looking to redefine 
financial advice. Now, I've had Chris Budd on the podcast a few times, and, and he talks about financial advice more in the in the context of financial coaching. And, and, he ex, and he explains that it's not so much about just giving people specific financial advice on how much to save or how much to invest, mortgages, protection, etc. It's more about coaching them into those into those areas so was this a conscious decision of yours to sort of almost like try to redefine financial advice or is it that actually this is the way that the whole industry should be thinking it's a really interesting question i I guess a bit of both Mm. uh, in reality and uh, you're right there there has been a big change over the last probably the last decade or so really in terms of defining what a financial advisor is and what a financial advisor does. Mm. Um, I mentioned in the sort of intro section about this uh, piece of research I did, and in essence, what what we found doing that was that there are um, there are a number of ways to, to break down the role of the advisor. But one of the ways is thinking about um, how a customer, a, a financial consumer, wants uh, their advisor to interact with them. And your point about coaching, I think, is is the way some people want to interact with an advisor. Some people want a different relationship. So uh, some want what I would consider as this kind of protector um, dynamic where actually they just pass on the emotional burden to their financial advisor, even if they may technically have responsibility for the decision-making on their investments and the mm-hmm. recommendations that made to them. In practice, they feel like they have passed the emotional burden um, onto someone else. Right. So, so that that's a very sort of directive um role and like i say it's all about protection and, and reassurance that that sort of coaching role i know there there are there's a lot of terminology around this and coaching and counseling and, and therapy at one end but in essence what a lot of people are very successfully doing in redefining the industry is showing that the advice role is more than the simply rational um the element simply rational elements so it's more than just making sure someone's portfolio is structured in the right way and that they're mm-hmm. tax efficient and uh, and so forth. So I think it, it's certainly a case of making sure that financial advisors um, are able to interact with clients in the way that that client wants to be interacted with mm-hmm. um, and understand the the nuances of the role and the, the, in essence, the emotional elements of it as well. And this concept of the financial coach and uh, life planning is, is another term that's been um, more frequently used is exactly that. It, it's how do uh, how advisors go about applying those sorts of principles in the relationships that they have with um, with investors. Okay, so let's dig a little bit deeper into exactly what behavioural and emotional finance is. Give me the behavioural and emotional finance 101. Take it right back to its simplest level. Sure. Well, in essence, I you'll probably hear me say this a few times in this conversation, but I think of uh, what I do around understanding how people think how they feel and how they act and behavioral finance let's start with that one although behavioral and emotional finance are very closely interlinked as you can imagine but behavioral finance has been built upon behavioral science and behavioral economics Mm -hmm. and that was a really innovative way of looking at how things work in practice and the likes of um, this is i've heard of people like daniel kahneman and richard thaler were were really quite thought-provoking in how they how they looked at what's going on in uh, in terms of decision making and the sorts of um, decisions people made in practice versus the decisions that they would make theoretically. And this concept of behavioral economics and behavioral science um, looks at what happens in that practical environment, what, what people actually do. 
versus in the economic space, for example, kind of neoclassical economic theory is around what people should do if they were 100% rational, uh, if they were thinking in a machine-like, computer-like way. Mm-hmm. And that was a really important um, step because ultimately, although these theoretical models can be useful for things like asset pricing and so forth in, in finance, actually what we care about, and particularly marketers amongst us care about, is understanding what people do in reality. Yeah. The, the theory is only important to the extent that you can actually apply it. So behavioral science was a big game changer to, to give a different perspective on, on that, I guess. And behavioral finance is obviously an element of that um, related to the finance discipline. Uh, emotional finance is an extension of that in a way, and really it's understanding the drivers of behaviors. And we know that the majority of our decision-making happens is, is driven by emotions. Mm. And there was a, a paper back in about 2003, uh, Harvard academic Gerald Zortman, who found that 95% of purchase decisions, um, so this is broadly purchase decisions, take place subconsciously. And if I think about some of the purchase decisions I make and any sorts of decisions I make, they, they're driven by emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, example, I just came off the phone with my brother before uh, this podcast, and he has just bought a Tesla. Ah. Or got a loan out to buy a Tesla. <laughs> and he was explaining all of the rational elements around that. It's, it's uh, an economical car and it's um, make a difference on, on the environment and they're very reliable and so forth. And he can post-rationalize all of these um, reasons to why he bought the car to me. In reality, I know that he's a Tesla fan. He follows everything that Elon Musk does. He dribbles every time you walk down the road and you see a, a car going the other way. And he is driven by emotion in that decision. Mm-hmm. But he will post-rationalize that to, um, to even perhaps convince himself and probably his wife as well that it's a, a good decision to make. So... People are, are, are driven by emotions, and those emotions drive the behaviours. Mm-hmm. So, in essence, we're, we're thinking about three steps in in terms of the um, how we can think about uh, investors and think about finances. They're, they're the emotional elements; those drive behaviours, and then there's the theoretical um, part to it as well, the sort of purely rational um, elements of uh, of finances. And of course, that is important as well. You know advisors are tasked with being very competent very technically gifted gifted at what they do all the things i mentioned about asset allocation and tax efficiency and and structuring portfolios and so forth are really important what emotional behavioral finance uh, are are there to do is better understand everything else that's going on and is the uk model of financial advice you know the fact find process the recommendation process is that based more on a rational model than it is upon a behavioral and emotional model it's really interesting because in reality, most advisors will actually use a combination of both. Mm-hmm. So that they will obviously go through the whole the, the fact-find KYC process. Um, they will record all of the um, information about the client that they need to. And then there's the next step about what I consider kind of really knowing your clients. There's the know your clients and then there's the really, really know your client. Mm. Where they can add extra value is by understanding the motivators behind the client and, and why they've come to seek advice and uh, what their goals are. And in fact, so let's think about goals, for example. Uh, if you were to ask the client what their goal is, 
uh, they might say, I want to grow my portfolio to a million pounds. So I, I can retire at the age of 60 um, and have a uh, sizable enough pension pot to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a very rational, rational goal. If you were to go a step further and ask them what they're going to do with that money, what does their lifestyle look, at, uh, look like? Um, what are their concerns about reaching that goal? How do they feel they are getting on with that goal at the moment? And, and where are they on that path? What have they done so far and what haven't they done to, to reach their goal? Then it will uncover some more information and we can go a step further and a step further. And in essence, if somebody is seeking advice, what they're really seeking is change. Yeah. So an advisor is is a change agent, really. They are changing either a behavior or perhaps something very practical um, and often an emotion as well. They're, they're reassuring um, clients, particularly at the moment, is, is a fairly good example. Uh, or they're helping them bring a level of control to their life or, or clarity to their to their life. So in order to understand that part of what an advisor does, that advisor needs to go beyond the regulatory um, process-driven uh, elements of, of fact-find and so forth, and they need to really understand that client, what's driving them, what's driven them in the past, what's gotten to the position that they're in at the moment, and ultimately, going back to the point about the advisor being a change agent, what's put them into this state where they now require change of some sort. Mm-hmm. It obviously sounds like a really good thing. I mean, as marketers, we really should have a thorough understanding of our customers. And and I've always believed that only by having a thorough understanding of our customers can you really come up with a solution, a product or a service which actually meets their needs. So thinking about behavioural and emotional finance in your context, why should marketers care so much about it? Yeah, uh, lots of reasons. <laughs> um, I mean, first and foremost, let, let's look at the, the marketer as an individual. So often marketers are, are disconnected from the clients. Uh, I, you know, I know this firsthand in my experience uh, in in some of the more innovative companies, the marketing team will often uh, have the chance to get in front of prospects and, and clients as part of that process, perhaps as part of their professional development as well. Uh, it was something I was always keen to make sure that, that my team were exposed to um, real life clients and, and sit in on meetings with advisors because you learn an awful lot by being part of that process. But they are, of course, even in situations where they're able to have some exposure to clients, they don't have as much exposure as an advisor will. Mm. So it can be quite difficult for um, for marketers and, in fact, business leaders, decision makers um, more broadly who don't necessarily have as much client contact. It can be difficult for them to understand all the things I'm talking about, what, what makes those individuals tick and to, to truly understand that person. So that's one reason it's important for marketers, one for their own credibility when they're speaking to advisors, they need to understand how the advisor's clients are, are motivated and what, what's going on in their minds. And also, as you rightly said, to, to be effective at fulfilling their roles. I mean, if we look at what's, what's happening in the industry as well, the industry is um, commodifying. So if we look at the price of wealth management services over the last few years, they've been reducing. Um, we've seen things like uh, the, the rise of ETFs and, and passive investments. Um, robo advice and technology all of these things are, are driving down the the cost and also the, the price that's being charged to the uh, to the client so in this world where um, we're going to perhaps reach a stage of uh, selling financial advice as a commodity if we just focus on uh, the rational elements marketers need to understand how to differentiate them their firms 
And mm-hmm. the way to differentiate is by connecting with, with the client. And when I say connect, I mean truly connect. We, we hear things like the term trust a lot. And, and that's probably a sort of poster child, really, for, uh, for talking about emotional finance. How do we better instill trust in clients? Well, there's a very big difference between knowing how important trust is and knowing that we, we want to achieve this level of trust in the relationships we have with clients and prospects. Actually, knowing how to apply that to, to marketing role in practice is very difficult. And it's one of the things that I um, coach marketers on understanding the different levels of trust. So mm-hmm. how do you convey trust in the industry and trust in your organization and trust in the advisor as an individual? So in answer to your question of why it's important to marketers, it's being able to understand clients for both internal credibility and so that they can be the ones coming up with ideas for campaigns and, um, and strategies which fit in with how clients think, feel and act. Uh, and also to be effective in, in the roles and to be able to actually apply the, the principles of some of the things that we're talking about today uh, to their roles. Do you think there's a potentially negative way to the way this might be perceived, Philip? Because sometimes when I think of behavioural and emotional finance, not, not necessarily just finance, but behavioural economics, behavioural stuff is that oh it's all about nudging people and it's all about wording things in such a way almost to get them to almost like to con them into buying something or con them into believing now that's not what it's about but i think there is you know the public unfortunately after many many years do have a pretty dim view of the financial services industry in certain circumstances and i just wonder whether if we don't ex- if we don't explain or we don't use this behavioral and emotional stuff properly it could potentially just add to that negative um, trust element that people have about financial services so is that a, is that a case and, and if it is how do we overcome that i i, I would say this that any if anybody can truly understand what people's motivators and drivers are, there is room for manipulation. What I would say is, I would hope no one listening to this podcast really is in a firm that they think is um, selling a service that isn't suitable for clients. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way as you know, a lot of um, sales training courses and things like that, there are quite um, direct sort of tactics and techniques that people use that I would describe as manipulative, you know, that they are, they're, they're tactical um, things which are aimed at you know, leading someone down one route and sort of tricking them into making certain decisions. What I'm talking about is far, far from that. And what I'm talking about is how do we better understand the individuals we work with? Now, once people have that understanding, I think it, the opportunities are far greater than the risks because yeah. there's obviously the risk of making decisions, giving advice, creating marketing um strategy or implementing a marketing plan and not knowing how consume, how um, investors think, feel and act can actually have a really detrimental impact on them. So if, if we don't understand how people think about risk, for example, then um, we could give them bad advice from the advisor's point of view. So I would actually kind of say the opposite about uh, behavioral and emotional finance, that by not understanding these areas in real detail can be really de- detrimental to, to clients and to um the businesses in terms of marketers um and i'll give another example actually and one of the areas i have spoken about quite a lot is gender mm-hmm. and this is something that a uh, lot of firms have made um big inroads in on in the last few years that both internally in terms of diverse cultures and, and workplaces and externally in terms of the, the people that they work with 
And there's a risk of knowing an amount about some of these areas that I'm speaking about, but not quite enough to be able to effectively apply it to um, to business. So with gender, for example, there's a lot of talk about how uh, female investors are more risk averse than mm-hmm. male investors. And yes, that is often the case. And there are also some quite interesting reasons behind some of that work. And um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, I'm uh, doing a PhD at King's College at the moment and, and working with um, a lady called Dr. Ilva Bergstrom um, from King's on that. And she has done a lot of research in the area of gender and, and has an interesting TED talk if you um, want to, to YouTube her. Um, and she looked at the interaction between male and female investors and male and female advisors. And what she actually found was a female investor who had a female advisor was far more risk taking than any of the other combinations. So more risk taking than a male investor with a male advisor or a male investor with a female advisor. So that's contrary to this belief of uh, female investors being risk averse. They are risk averse in certain situations and for certain reasons. So that's, I guess, what I mean by there's a, a bit of a danger in in some knowledge, but not enough knowledge to apply um, to be able to, to apply it to um, to the roles of the advisor or the role of the marketer or the decision maker in general. And in that gender example, if we just assume that okay, women are more uh, risk averse than men, we'll make certain decisions and assumptions based on that. Whereas actually, if we know a bit more detail and have a higher level of understanding, we might make some slightly nuanced uh, decisions, which would probably be more suitable, would provide better service to the particularly the female investors that we work with. In short, yes, there is scope to, when someone has a, a deep level of understanding about any topic, I think there's certainly scope for manipulation and, and to, to act on that in a negative way. I think not having the knowledge of around investors is is actually quite um, quite dangerous in itself and also by having an increased knowledge we can actually what we're trying to do here is provide a better service and engage more effectively with people who need advice or benefit from it or those who are already receiving advice and want we want to communicate with them better and reassure them in a uh, in, in a better way so when it's put into to practice in that way i think there are really positive opportunities to to use some of this um, behavioural and finance, behavioural um, finance and emotional finance knowledge um, in in the roles of people that listen to this podcast. Yeah, my definition of marketing, my simple definition of marketing that I use in talks is marketing is a deep, almost obsessive understanding of the customer. And it sounds to me as if this is a good way of getting that deep, almost obsessive understanding of the customer. Because if you have that, then you've got a much better chance of working out exactly what issues they have and how your skills, how your products and how your services can actually solve those issues and give them a way forward. So so what does the future for behavioural and emotional finance look like, Philip? What I would say about the future of behavioural and emotional finance is that we are understanding more and more about retail investors. And that understanding, I think, is driving a lot of change in the industry. And, and you rightly named a, um, a couple of examples of that earlier. Now, that will continue because particularly in uncertain times like uh, we're experiencing at the moment, we've really witnessed the importance and the power of relationships with clients and actually those who don't have strong enough relationships with clients and trusted advisor status at the moment are probably experiencing some quite negative impacts. So we're appreciating this, this kind of 
advisor, coach, um, counselor type type um, advisor client dynamic, and I think that will continue particularly in the in the short term. I think longer term there are other trends that are um, driving this area of of interest as well. And one example is digital advice or robot advice, however we want to, to term it. Um, and in fact, digital interaction with customers, as we're seeing through video conferencing and, and the like at the moment. And why that trend is driving the um, concept of behavioral and emotional finance is because traditionally relationships have been a very human to human dynamic, obviously. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we start thinking about the role of digital um, mediation of that, uh, of that relationship, it starts to complicate things. And at the moment, there's this, this idea of robo-resistance. There's um, some resistance in some segments of clients to resist um, communicating with uh, with a faceless entity in that way. And in fact, even communicating with uh, a human through digital means is, is a, a bit of a, um, a stumbling block for some people. So the more that technology changes how advice is delivered and how um, communications are delivered, the more we need to think about the impacts on clients and ultimately design those services in the way that we can maintain healthy relationships with clients and that trusted advisor status without necessarily having to sit in a room opposite in the face-to-face environment. So, so that's going to be a big driver. And I, I do think the, the um, advice industry is going through a lot of change and will continue to go through change. And although we've seen robo-resistance, it will be the way forward for uh, for many customers, not just uh, the younger generation, but also those who are experiencing the, um, the convenience benefits of uh, online advice at the moment, and also the benefits of those people who feel um, anxious sitting in front of a financial advisor um, because they, they feel like they might be judged by that advisor or they, they don't feel 100% confident disclosing information to, to someone sitting opposite them. So there are also some um, emotional reasons as to why someone might actually embrace digital advice. So, so, so that's going to, um, to really uh, continue things. And ultimately, this isn't going anywhere. There's a need throughout, uh, it pervades all industries to understand people better and make decisions in a more um, a more sort of structured way based on, on facts rather than intuition. And the more research that's taking place in this area and the more traction that's, um, and, and awareness that's being gained, the more I think the concept of uh, emotions and behaviours will play a more and more important part into how firms just just operate in general. What would you say was the one big thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take out the experiences you've had leaving corporate, setting up your own business and your focus on behavioural and emotional finance? Understanding clients and prospects. It's as simple as that. Understanding how people think, feel and act. And the more closely marketers can relate to clients and prospects the more effectively they will do their roles and actually the more comfortable they will feel doing their roles as well and the more ideas that will be generated the better strategies can be implemented and so forth so the more we can understand people the better and in terms of this this journey i would say if you're going to um to plan to pursue a real area of interest and passion try and plan it around when there's going to be a global pandemic if possible (laughs) is is probably the main one Um, but also, I think these things just just play out. And and if there's an area that somebody is really interested in, and obviously has expertise in as well, it can't just all be built on interest and passion. 
um, but is knowledgeable about and um, and is, is wedded to and is motivated to explore um, and has a real sort of thirst for, for knowledge in, in that area, then pursue it. I, I don't think I, I don't think I could have taken the plunge out of a, a corporate to kind of an entrepreneurial lifestyle if I didn't have a real here we go to full circle a real emotional connection with, mm. with what I'm doing. Uh, and ultimately, even when if I, I felt the the business wasn't doing as well as I hoped or if I feel at any point in the future that, that I might be failing I'm doing something that I love and failure is a, a short-term issue whereas pursuing a, a larger vision doing something where you don't have to ever retire because actually you're already doing something that that's um, that's got you hooked is probably um it's probably more valuable than, than people realize Philip, it's been great to talk to you this afternoon. Lots of really interesting stuff. And as I said before, if marketing is about that deep, almost obsessive understanding of your customer, then you really do need to dig into these behavioural and emotional subjects. So I think you've got some resources that you want to share with the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast. So why not bring the conversation to an end by telling us about that and also how people can connect with you? So for the marketers listening to this uh, programme, I've put together a uh, document which will hopefully be useful to them. It's called the seven investor influences that marketers need to be aware of and runs through my sort of personal highlights of uh, emotional influences, uh, driving investor behavior and the practical tips that marketers can take away to apply this into their roles. And your other question, if people want to get in touch with me, then first of all, please do. Uh, my website is appliedef.com and uh, there's a, a page for, for marketers on there. That's probably most relevant. And feel free to add me on LinkedIn as well, Philip Courtenay. Um, there probably aren't too many of us if you get the spelling right. Um, and feel free to, to connect with me or, or follow me on there. And um, it'd be great to hear from you or listeners. Great stuff. I will include the links to those resources and your contact details in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find, as always, at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. Philip, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Really enjoyed it. Let's meet up in person at some point and have a coffee or a beer once lockdown finally, finally fades into the distance. But until then, let me wish you every success for the future. That sounds great. You too. Thanks very much, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.